This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! And it's in the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. Well, I'm grinning from ear to ear since you told me the guest list, but I, I wasn't till then because right. that Saturday game left a sour taste in my mouth. I don't know about you. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. It's been tough sledding, reading uh, reading the old site, reading Scoop Duck for, for a few days now. Here we are on a, on a Wednesday, Wednesday mid-afternoon, mid-morning. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, folks are still reeling from it. And, uh, you know, I think the reality is is uh, it was a good game. And Oregon played a good game, showed they could play on the road, uh, showed they could be physical with a physical team. You know, did a lot of the things that we all had question marks about. Uh, I guess just probably what makes it hardest for fans is the fact that you led the game for 59 minutes and 51 seconds of the game. That's correct. And you end up losing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's – that is a – I get it. Like, you know, in some ways it's hard to realize this. It's a lot better than getting blown out 55 to 10 or something like that. But just the way that, you know, Oregon let that one kind of slip away. um, You know, I understand why fans are upset, but on the same hand, those that are able to kind of push those feelings away after about 24 hours or so and say, hey, look, on the road, you know, pretty good team, you know, we did a lot, you know, Oregon did a lot of things really well. Uh, you know, let's see what the rest of the season brings us. Yeah. Yeah. I, I said it this way on my show yesterday. You can kiss the playoffs goodbye. And if anything, that's liberating because now you don't have to worry about the playoffs. Right. You don't have to stress over the scores on Saturday night and how much did Alabama beat so and so by and yeah. did Clemson beat so and so and Oklahoma, Ohio State. You don't have to care anymore. Right. Now the focus is just win four games in the Pac-12. Yeah. You've got to beat Stanford, you got to beat Washington, you've got to beat USC, and you got to beat whoever comes out of that Mexican standoff in the Pac-12 South. Right. And if you can do that, you're probably going to win the Pac-12 title. And that should have always been the goal from the forefront. Anybody who went and saw anybody who just realistically saw this team last year and magically expected them to take a playoff contending kind of leap I would say is a little bit over optimistic I'm not right. saying it's totally unrealistic but you're at the upper upper end and I was there I, <coughs> I was there until about the fourth quarter of yeah. the Auburn game and, and I, I really think like for me it's a recalibration is Justin Herbert a bust no is Marcus Arroyo a a hack no but right I was left with some question marks for those two. And I was left with question marks for Mario, honestly. Um, I think this team can be good. They're not going to be great this year. They're not going to go to the playoff this year. Now, see, here's where where I'll kind of argue against myself. Right now, today, I agree with you. It's going to be incredibly difficult for Oregon to get back into any playoff consideration. But they're still a top 20 team right now with the loss. 
with what we saw in college football last year and the absolute just beating up of the top 10, yeah, Oregon can get there, but it's going to take a near perfect set of circumstances right. on the long way. So from a realistic standpoint. No, you've, you've got a point. If we have like an 07 kind of year. Yeah. If, where if there's everybody loses to everybody. And, you know, if, I mean, nobody's really talking about it, but the Pac-12 was good, not great the first week. It was good, but not great. You know, USC won and they were supposed to. Utah won and they were supposed to. Neither looked all worldly, but they won. Washington State won. Washington won. You know what I mean? Stanford won. Everybody pretty much won for the most part, except for UCLA, which we see that they just have a lot of work left I to do there. I felt so bad for Chip after that game. Yeah, I mean, and and that's, you know what? That's a, a nice little segue. You know, you just, if you remove the emotional attachment as an Oregon fan and you're watching the UCLA game, Okay, if you pretended that Chip Kelly, just pretend that Chip Kelly was Marcus Arroyo for a minute, okay, Chip Kelly calls some damn good plays. Right. Like plays you're like, dude, I mean, seriously. <laughs> you know, the pre-snap motion and guys flexing in and out, showing different perfection. formations. Perfection, yeah. right? And the quarterback couldn't get it done. And he couldn't get it done. Now, I'm not likening Justin Herbert to DTR. That's a huge disservice to Justin Herbert. But when your quarterback is not able to make adjustments or, you know, understand some basic fundamentals of football, which is something I think Justin Herbert continues to struggle with, it freaking doesn't matter what play you call. It's right. not going to work. I mean, Oregon had some RPOs called. If you go back and look at that fourth quarter, I know my voice is elevated here, but if you go back and you look at that fourth quarter, there are a number, and I'm not just saying like one or two. I'm saying like four or five throws that if Justin Herbert looks off his first look anywhere on the field, he's yeah. got a guy. Yeah. And there are instances where he has a guy 12 yards open. Like it's not, it's not like he's got to fit it in a rope or he literally can flick the ball 10 yards and that guy is going to be able to run for 8, 10, whatever he's able to get out of it. There's a number. Just go back and watch the fourth quarter, okay? And watch two things of Justin Herbert. Watch two things, okay? Watch where his head is when the ball is snapped, okay? Whichever direction his head is looking is where he's going to throw it, obviously. Mm -hmm. And nine out of ten times, his head never moves from that direction. So if he, if he snaps it and he's looking left from the onset, more than likely he's throwing it to whoever's on the left, okay? There might be a guy completely wide open on the right, and in many cases there were. A lot of dig routes, different things. And I, you know, I'm going to credit QB11 if he listens. You know, he's pointed out a lot of this to me and his dad over the last couple of days. And it's screenshots and the whole thing. And I'm looking at it going, oh, gosh. This is bad. Yeah. Like, you can be a good I, – I think about it this way. He can still be a good collegiate quarterback. Sure. But I know that scouts watched that game. Right. I know that scouts are going to be in Eugene on Saturday. Sure. They're going to be all over Justin Herbert all year. All year, every game. And right now, that's the book on him. Yep. If you can't – look off your first read and move to number two, three, four, and five, you're not going to be an NFL quarterback. Oh, no, you're going to have a short. Now, what people fail to understand, the people that love Justin Herbert, and I love Justin Herbert, great kid, local kid, makes good. I love the whole story. I want him to have the best season that he can have. I truly, truly do. But if you're not able to make your progressions, which was the knock on him last year. Now, last year, we gave him an excuse. We gave him an out last year that he didn't have anybody. Yeah, it's right. you lock on to Dylan Mitchell and you throw it to Dylan Mitchell because that's what you do to win the game. I get it. Like, I, I'm not faulting him for that. And there were times last season where Schooler and Johnny Johnson were wide open doing jumping jacks. And sure, maybe they caught it. Maybe they didn't. 
you know, we don't know. But we gave him an out last year for it. Now this year, I'm not saying his wide receiver group is is tons better, but Johnny Johnson had a good game. He didn't have any drops that I can recall. Jalon Red had a good game, didn't have any drops that I recall. Yes, Brian Addison had the drop in the end zone. Mm. I know, but if you're talking about one drop, which was a big drop, it was. I mean, it was a it was a touchdown costing drop. But if you're talking about one drop, that group improved. Now, can they consistently get open? You know, sure. Some of that still is left to be desired. But I am, I'm go back and watch the fourth quarter. I am talking about dudes consistently wide open on third down plays, on big key plays in key drives. Absolutely not just completely oblivious that they're even on the field. You got to fix that. So, you know, the, the reason I pointed out Chip Kelly in this instance, Chip did the same thing in DTR. Right. And we don't blame Chip. No, we don't blame Chip. We, everybody's blaming on DTR. And now anybody who says that Justin Herbert's struggling in that area is an asshole. <laughs> I mean, that's just it. People are pissed at me because I said, maybe he still needs a little bit of work in this area. Right. NFL caliber arm. Love the kid. I was thinking about this on the way here. You, you meet people in life, and some people are just absolute book smart. Ask them anything, they know, they know it. Right. And some people are street smart. Okay, maybe I don't know what the, you know the the all the all the different countries, or I don't know the the, the capital of Montana. Right. I don't know all these things that make You're, me book smart. I, well, I think we fit this. I am smart. I'm an idiot when it comes to people. Sure, you're great with people. Right, I mean, you'll you'll go to the bar. You'll just chat everybody up, have a good time. Sure, and and yeah, with Herbert, that's my point. To attack of Iloa, I'll use him as an example. I don't think he's the most book smart guy out there. I'm not calling him dumb. I'm not trying to be mean. But compared to Justin Herbert, who's, you know, advanced classes and doing all, you know, medical biology, all these things that he's doing, clearly that is an intelligent young man. Book smart to the max, right? Tua Tagovailoa is successful because I think he's street smart. You know, that kid just, you, you put him on the field and he puts on the helmet. Just has a knack for football. Exactly. Just has yeah. that feel, has that knack. You know what I mean? And I just wonder if that's the difference. You know what I mean? I, we don't know. I mean, we're just here, guys on a podcast in Medford, Oregon, spouting off crap for people to listen to. But you know, all these things go through my head, and you get so many different points of view. I'm glad we're going to bring Hithliday on. I really like his point of view. I'm not just bringing him on because I agree with it. I want to bring him on so he can expand on it. Right. I, I thought he had a really good feel of the Auburn game. Um, and similar people that I trust, QB11, um, his dad, some other folks, had a similar point of view to Hithliday. It's not the popular belief unfortunately you know but i do tend to agree with it i was trying to find somebody that we could bring on that might go the other direction you know maybe lean on the coaches a little bit more being at fault i just couldn't really come up with a great guess for that so i wanted to the achilles smith slot yeah yeah Yeah, he wouldn't be afraid to pull it i would have been a good one that that was the all-timer for just let it rip i hate this coaching staff nobody knows what they're doing let it rip that was so great yeah um, but our two guests today, I know the second one I mentioned to you. So there's a little bit about Auburn. You and I can get back to it later on. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk some more about it. But I, I really enjoy I'm really excited about our first guest, uh, Gabriel Sewell Sr. You guys definitely recognize the last name. So his son, Gabe Sewell, will be playing on Nevada this Saturday against Oregon with his son, Panay Sewell, anchoring the left side of the offensive line. I didn't even know that angle. I, I knew the... One son is a badass mother and yeah. the best lineman on the Ducks. I knew the 
my other son is a superstar linebacker. Yeah. I did not know the my other other son will play against my duck son this weekend. Yeah, they're going I imagine we'll see, you know, the Sewell family in the stands with a half Nevada, half I don't know, we can ask him maybe they've made that up. I don't know, but Ooh. you know, the uniforms That's and, a good question. You know, I I uh Panay Sewell was interviewed yesterday after practice and you know, talked a little bit about it and it was some fun stories about, you know, they haven't they haven't played on the same field together since Panay was in 8th grade. His brother was a senior. And so now basically Panay is a, you know, is a, a, a sophomore and his, and his brother's a senior. They're going to be on the field together. That's amazing again. to think yeah. about. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, I guess if Gabe had one more year, you'd have Noah and Panay and Gabe somewhere potentially playing. What a fun thing for the family, though. Right. I mean, just fun. Just right. awesome. So I'm excited to hear from Gabe. You know, we'll talk about those two. And then we'll maybe talk a little bit about the next man up, that little little uh, superstar kid Noah out of Utah. Okay. All right. Well, let, let's uh, get that ready. All righty. We've got Gabriel Sewell. Justin led into this. This is one of my favorite guests that we're going to have for quite a while because the story is phenomenal. One son plays for the Ducks, and everybody knows who he is. Badass on the line, just absolutely dominating the Auburn D on Saturday night. Another son is waiting in the wings. Might be a Duck next fall. Could be a pretty good one. And another's going to be playing against the Ducks on Saturday. I I, I just want to know what you think about this, sir. As a father of these kids, how proud are you to know you're going to have three sons playing D1 college football? Uh, you know, I'm proud. I'm happy. I mean, it's the goal. And, I mean, technically, there is a son between Panay and my oldest, who's now a safety at the University of Utah. So, technically, when it's all said and done, I'll have four. What, uh, what, uh, what's the uh, Sewell uh, family food bill look like in your house when everybody's home? <laughs> Well, it, 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 it's kind of slowly has decreased since you know they, they've all one by one gone up. But at one point in time, it was it was a lot of ramen, and peanut butter and jelly, and <laughs> milk and cereal. That was a steady diet. Nice, yeah. Just whatever you could get your hands on to get them fed and try and fill them up a little bit. That's exactly it. So uh, on Tuesday. Uh, Panay was met with uh, Oregon Media after practice and, and talked about the last time that he'd played with his older brother was with he was in eighth grade and his his older brother was a senior in high school and Panay says that's the last time that his older brother was bigger than him is that how you recall it as well? Yeah, when Panay was in, in the, the eighth grade. Well, between the eighth grade and ninth grade, he hit a growth spurt. So eighth grade was the last time he may have been smaller than him, but. As soon as he was a freshman and the oldest was a senior, he was bigger than both his older brothers. <laughs> this uh, this weekend, uh, I believe that uh, you and the family are are coming to town. What what are you guys? I mean, what are you guys planning on doing? Who's all coming with you? You know, talk a little bit about that. Um, well, my wife and I and Noah won't be able to get there till Saturday around noon because. I coach high school football. We play Friday night, and so the North plays as well. But we've got uh, aunts, uncles, grandpa, friends, a bunch of people coming into town to 
to support both the boys this weekend. Well, sounds like you we don't really have too much plan outside of that because we all get together there at different times. But uh, we're we're really looking forward to a good game. Would uh, it sounds like you can have like maybe twenty thirty uh, family members in the stands? Is that a, a close estimate? Yeah, about that. About that. Yeah, at least twenty. Man, at least twenty. Um, I I'd love to know when you look at Panay and and we all think. He could be a, a first-round pick by the end of his Oregon tenure. Could be one of the best linemen ever at Oregon, just seeing the, the highlight reels every week. When did you know he was going to be a college football player? Well, maybe his freshman year. His freshman year, he got a lot of varsity burns. And when he was a sophomore, uh, he was he was able to do some extremely, extremely uh, good things. And then I took him to one of the uh, – Nike events out in uh, L.A., and I think at the time the, the number one recruit was Jalen Phillips. I think he's now at Miami. Yeah. But uh, he, he took a couple reps against him, and as a sophomore, he held his own. So, you know, just off of that alone, we kind of kind of knew that he was going to do it. Uh, were you were you guys able to watch the, uh, the Auburn game on, on television, or did you guys go down for it? Well, we were we were in Dallas for it. That 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 was a game you can't miss. <laughs> no doubt. So obviously a tough loss. You know, what did you think? Uh, two things. What did you think of a Panay's performance in that game, and and what did you think of Oregon's performance overall versus Auburn? Considering that uh, that defensive line had about two or three uh, projected first rounders, I thought it was, a, it was a good measuring stick for Panay and where he was at, and I I, I believe that. You know, he more than held his own uh, for the game. I was I was pleased with his performance, and sure he was, but it was kind of overshadowed by the fact that they didn't get the W. And you know, all in all, saw a lot of great things, a lot of great improvements from last year. They went up against the powerhouse in the SEC, uh, and um, you know, again they didn't get the W. But you can see there's tons of great things they did that uh, will continue to to put Oregon on the right projection. On the right path. What? Uh, so obviously, you guys at one point felt comfortable enough with Mario Cristobal, you know, to you know, for Panay to go to school there. What? What are kind of your thoughts on Coach Cristobal so far, and what he's done with the program, and how he's developed this program uh, to date? You know, we. I guess our our our. Our thoughts of Oregon prior to Cristobal and everyone coming in was, you know, old Chip Kelly days. It was it was fast. It was electrifying and whatnot. And then we hadn't quite followed Oregon until, um, you know, the, the new regime came in. And then Mar- Mario, I met him at a camp, and you know, we really we really enjoyed him. Like my, we've come to know him very well. We trust him. I think he's done a lot of great things and put put Oregon. Uh, in a great place as they continue to build and move forward, become power, powerful football. Um, you know, I, I think he's doing great things. Penay loves him. We love him. We support him. And we'll continue to do so. Was his, uh, was his style of football uh, a big attraction for, for Penay to go there? Obviously, understanding that they were going to play a little more powerball and usually, in most cases, that's something that benefits an offensive lineman aspiring to go to the NFL. 
I think when, when, when Panay was kind of looking at, you know, the landscape of things, knowing that where, where Coach Cristobal came from uh, and knowing the, the, the line, the style of play and how many people he's put in the league uh, from where he was previously at, it, it was sort of a no-brainer for Panay. So, Coach, I want to ask you about, uh, about Gabe. Uh, you know, Nevada obviously had one of the more memorable Week 1 wins in college football. Um, what do you kind of see from, from them, and how will they present? Uh, you know, Oregon's obviously a, a, a big uh, favorite in this game, but, you know, how, sure, sure. How, how will Nevada maybe be able to keep this thing close, or what kind of problems do you think they present for the Ducks this weekend? I think, um, you know, Nevada coming off a, a big win against Purdue has a little bit of momentum on their side, has, has a lot of bit of momentum on their side. And uh, I think um, they're playing with a lot more confidence, and I think that confidence can carry a, carry a lot through the game. Um, it'd just be interesting. Uh, again, I don't talk to my son too much about scheme, but I'd like to see what they come up with in regards to, to how we, they're going to attack Oregon and, and how they plan to stop them. Uh, sir, before we brought you on, Justin brought up a good point. He, he said a lot of times when parents have kids on, on multiple sides of the game, they'll wear one of those split jerseys where maybe you got one half Ducks, one half Nevada. Are, are you going to do something like that on Saturday? Actually, you know, I had a couple of friends of mine who, who, who showed me some renderings of jerseys, and I, I didn't really... I didn't really quite like it, so uh, Noah Noah's buddy made a uh, edit, one of those edits you see on Twitter when they come out with their top five or whatever, and it has both the boys' pictures on it, and we we're gonna put it on a white T-shirt. Nice. That's a, that's what we're gonna that, that's what we're gonna rock this weekend. That's like a that. good that's a good in between. I like yeah. that. That sounds good. Celebrating the family. Yeah. I'm not really a big fan of the split sure. jerseys. They're kind of weird to me. So I like I like this idea a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was kind of weird. Just it kind of looked too busy. Right, right. Yeah, you know, when a wolf and a duck, those are definitely opposing animals. You don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. So, coach, uh, you know, I'm not going to ask you for a prediction in that game. I think it would be unfair to put you in that position. I uh, want to uh, shift gears, maybe just a touch here. Uh, your son Noah obviously was injured. He's a high-profile recruit. Um, maybe talk a little bit about where he's at. Is he close to returning to the field? Is he playing? What's 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 on deck for him? Yeah, he's uh, he's close to returning. I mean, he's been cleared to play, but obviously he has a lot of football ahead of him. So we're we're not trying to rush rush too much. I mean, um, I know it's, he's dying to get on the field to help his brothers on the field that you know to accumulate wins. But I just had to remind him the state of Utah has just changed their for their playoff format to a RPI system. So basically everyone gets into the playoffs according to their power ranking. So you said you just catch at the same time. Well, we know how that goes here in Oregon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everybody gets in. Everybody gets in. Uh, Coach, will, uh, will Noah be coming to Eugene this weekend for an unofficial visit? Uh, I think we're just going to make it unofficial because of the timing of it all. Uh, we won't get there till mid-Saturday, and we got to be back by Monday for school. Okay, gotcha. So just a quick unofficial visit. What uh, I know you guys have been to Oregon already. What What is he like about Oregon and the staff, and you know what at least has him interested in that program so far? 
Well, you gotta understand that throughout Panay's whole process, you know, Noah, Noah sat shotgun, so he's developed just as much of a relationship not only with Cristobal, with Avalos, uh, Coach Wilson, you know, Coach Joe, and, and, and everyone else there on staff. He kind of likes the energy, he likes the vibe, he likes where they're going, so, um, you know, he's, he's, he's developed a relationship over the last year and a half, two years. Uh, on the recruiting front, obviously he'll visit Oregon unofficially this weekend. Uh, what else are the are the current plans? Does he have any official visits lined up, or what's what's kind of going on there? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll official visit um, Georgia sometime here in this month, Texas A&M next month, and that's really the only two that have been, I guess, put on the books. Um, time to get there and talk to to coach Cristobal and talk to Noah to see what, when, when's the best fit to come back to our for an official visit at Oregon, and we'll see how that works out. Uh, following up on that, and I ask this because we've talked to a lot of parents of recruits over the, the year and a half we've done this podcast. Um, everybody has a different approach. With, with some, it's you're very much letting your son take the lead and, and just affirming what they do. And with others, uh, we've seen parents be a helping hand and, and take care of the mountains of mail and all the phone calls and all the bothering that these kids get from college coaches. Uh, what, what's that process been like for you? Have you been leading the way, or are, are you letting him just take over and just having fun with it? For the most part, we we kind of left it up to him again. He, he's seen it three times before. He kind of had a good idea going into it, what what he likes, what he doesn't like, what approaches to take and what not to take. Um, so he's done a pretty good job. I mean, Mom and I have kind of sat back from a distance and guided somewhat. I mean, there were there were there were places that we we thought were were you know definitely not not a fit, and we kind of made that known. Uh, but for the most part, he's done a good job of of taking ownership of uh, his recruiting and, and thus far has communicated and, and with coaches and kind of did a good job of, of, of doing all that. And, Coach, I think I want to wrap you up on this one. I, I don't uh, I don't want to give anything away. I know you guys are going through the process, but it, it certainly, just from what you've said, it sounds like I don't want to call Oregon a favorite by any means, but it certainly sounds like they're legitimately in your son's recruitment at this point in time. Is that fair? Oh, yeah, that that's more than fair. Uh, that I, for the most part, that's a very accurate statement. And he's a, uh, and I know he took it, and honestly took until the opening finals for him to prove this. But everybody's really changed their tune and, and fully sees him as a linebacker moving forward. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean that's there, there were some schools that still you know want to tinker with the thought of maybe adding twenty thirty more pounds to his frame and 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 putting his hand in the dirt, but. Uh, he's proven that at his current weight that he can move, you know, with the best of them. He can, he can play, he can run, he can cover, he can take on blocks. I mean, he, there's not too many. I think they compared him to Devin White, but, you know, if he can play it, why not? I mean, once you get to a college program, they put you on the, you know, the workout and diet and all that. They'll get him right. Definitely, yeah. From what I from what I've seen on film, it, it doesn't look like he has any problem, you know, moving and, and his lateral agility to play linebacker. It looks like he's got that certainly locked in. 
Coach, we, we really appreciate your time, and I know you're a busy man, so we want to send you off. But uh, terrific guest, and, uh, and, and we definitely want you guys to have safe travels and enjoy the game this weekend. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thank you. That was interesting. I, I feel bad because I, I wanted to uh, say he only had three sons. And he's got potentially four. He's got a whole flock. It's, <laughs> it's crazy, man. Like that, I, I, I get the approach from Mario Cristobal. Yeah. Guy's got a whole family of college football players. Yeah. Just but uh, I, I, as someone that just, we, we care about the Ducks, focus on the Ducks. I love that he mentioned how tight coach avalos has been on his son's process yeah you know uh, i think that is a great interview for us to have this week obviously you know the connection with both his boys playing this weekend they're coming to town this weekend oh and by the way have a top 50 you know nationally recruited son coming up next compared to first round pick at linebacker devin white who might be who might be the best of the bunch which is incredible to say because you and i are sitting here saying man panay sewell's got top 10 pick potential yes in his game yes. and i i don't think there's many that will disagree with that is he there yet no but he's also just a, a, a true sophomore ton you know lots of time there uh, you know i think i think about his growth from last year to this year which if you're a if you're a left tackle right if you're a tackle you know your your first to your third year you see just such tremendous amounts of growth, probably more than any other position out there mm-hmm. you know as a player uh maybe save quarterback but um and to think Noah just might even be better. I mean, you, if you watch him, he's just he's incredible out there. Uh, you know, of course, hasn't played a senior game yet and apparently doesn't need to because everybody wins in Utah just yeah. like everybody wins in Oregon. Real, real similar for, <laughs> yeah. for like the five people on Scoop Duck that I have little high school football chats with every yeah. now and then. You know where we're, to, where we're going with this. Right. Everybody gets into the playoffs. Everybody so wins. Just yeah. take two months off and yeah. you'll, you'll get a game in November. Exactly. Yeah. Save yourself. But no, really, really great insight there. Great to hear about the family. Really cool to hear that they'll be 20, 30 deep, you know, in the stands at Austin Stadium. That's nuts. I imagine it'll make them hard to miss, you know, a, a great collection of Polynesian family. You know, you'll, I'm sure you'll be able to spot them with the edit shirts on. Right. They probably all have the edit shirts on. Uh, really cool. Really cool. No, so, you know, thankful to Coach Sewell or uh, Gabriel Sewell Sr. for coming on the show for a few minutes there. Obviously a busy man. And uh, we got another great guest. We're going to double it up today. Yeah. 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 Well, I think this is fitting because everybody wants to nitpick the X's and O's. Sure. And say, you know, we take the approach that Justin Herbert had some bad decisions and and had some things to work on. Uh, I've read a lot of great Marcus Arroyo jokes and memes on social media over the last 72 hours. Uh, Again, I I even point out the, the fourth down call. By Coach Cristobal, sure. As as a moment where I think even the head coach, who's been pretty flawless in his tenure at Oregon, yeah. made a mistake on Saturday night. Now we get to look at all that and and run it through a filter of somebody who lives and breathes X's and O's. Yeah, I mean, I I picture you know Hith kind of locking himself in a room there and saying, "Let me insulate myself from the outside noise as best I can." Let me watch this through, you know, a clear filter and just see what I see. You know what I mean? And and, and then just put my thoughts down, uh, you know, on a piece of paper. And right. so I think that's all you can do. And for the casual fan to, to do it, 
you know, you're going to watch it and more than likely you're going to look at the exact same thing you saw the first time and just say, yep, that's it, That confirms what I saw the first time. <laughs> that's just human nature. Uh-huh. I mean, it really is. And there, to the, to a degree, that's probably the same thing for Hitler day. You know, you may have saw something live and went back and, you know, uh, may have been able to be a little bit more analytic about it. I got a feeling and we haven't, obviously we haven't prepped this or anything. I've got a feeling we'll hear him say, Look, the coaches probably made a couple mistakes in this game, which I agree with, but they probably didn't make enough or they weren't severe enough to really negatively impact this game. Were they mistakes that people are picking on? Absolutely. But I think overall, if you look at their at how they negatively impacted this game, like the timeouts, Oregon didn't need timeouts at the end. So the you know the argument there is, is, is arbitrary to me. I mean, like, yeah, they wasted two timeouts. They probably should have known the rule. It's a rule that probably nine out of ten coaches, if you ask them, would have said, yeah, he can go back in, and they would have been wrong. I mean, it's a one-off deal. I don't think that changed anything. I mean, just the result of that play didn't matter if it was Tyler Shuck or Justin Herbert back there. Um, you know, my opinion, just yeah. so many different things, you know, there's just so many, you know, the drop catch, the missed field. Goal. I mean, just there's so many little microcosms of this game where you're like, oh, you guys are killing yourself in the foot. All of you mm-hmm. together, yeah. you know, and I imagine as a team, they said that that's probably what they went back on Sunday and said, look, you know, you guys had a couple plays we'd probably want back. We probably could have done a couple things different. Let's push it to the back of our minds and move on. Yeah, I, I, I look at it in this angle. Um, one of my old friends in the local media here, Will Rubin, he used to work in Grants Pass, and, and now he writes in uh, Washington, in Centralia. Ducks grad, diehard Ducks fan. And Will told me they should have been up 28-3 in the first quarter. Oh, well, yeah, everybody sees that. Yeah, everyone saw that. And I, I think that that has, A, it has to be the message this week against Nevada of, guys, you, you left a lot of food out there on the table, a lot of opportunities if they come out and they play that way, they can drill this Nevada team. And this game, almost to a T, reminded me of the Stanford game last year. You had oh, yes. your foot on Stanford's neck at halftime. You literally had to do nothing but take care of the football and run out some clock and you yeah. win the game. Yeah. And by the fourth quarter, early in the fourth quarter, the momentum had totally shifted and I felt the same way about that game that I did about the Albert game. Like, quit letting them back in the game. And a, and a big turnover yeah. swings the ending. Yeah. If the Ducks convert that fourth and one. And right. I, I think that's farcical. I would have not gone for that fourth and one just because. I would have done something, something different than what they did. Yeah. Everybody knew where you were going. You need one yard and you got one running back and nine yards behind the line of scrimmage. And your yeah. backup quarterbacks out there. And I love Tyler Shuck. But if you're going to take a chance on a called run play for your quarterback, Justin Herbert wasn't out there. Right. You know what I mean? So right. I could put that one on the coaches a little bit. But that's just one play. It, the play before that, I believe, was the Jacob Breland catch. And he where literally he's a yard short. He's a half yard short right. of a stick. And right. it's like, dude, you're a senior. You know what I you mean? You've got to know where the down mark is. So many is. microcosms of mm-hmm. this game where it's like, okay, maybe that's a little on a player. Then the next play was a little on a coach. I'm, I'm right in the middle. People think I'm all over Justin Herbert. I'm not. He was part of the reason Oregon lost. The coaches were part of the reason Oregon lost. Dropped footballs are part of the. Re- There's just so many little elements to this game. Yeah, and really reminiscent of that Stanford game. Really, and here's what gives me: Oregon struggled with penalties when Mario Cristobal took over. And then what did he do? He went out and fixed penalties. They weren't perfect in the, in the Auburn game, but it wasn't that bad. Oregon has struggled playing on the road. Okay, that's what they've struggled with. 
they played well on the road. Sure, they messed up, but they played way better than they did in the Red Box Bowl, in my opinion. That was just abysmal. No doubt. So if I'm sitting here thinking, okay, there have been, you know, Oregon had a ton of drops last year. So guess what? He goes and hires a new wide receiver coach in the first game. Yes, we saw one really bad drop. We saw a bad drop. Other than that, a pretty clean game from the receivers, from their standpoint. If there's a problem, he seems to identify it and fix it. I guess that's what I'm getting at. So mm-hmm. I got to believe that some of these silly things that came up in this game will be better. And I, wrote, I know I wrote an article earlier today. I see this as a one-loss football team moving forward. Wow. I, I didn't see enough wow. from Stanford to give me a lot of concern. Washington State always concerns me just because it's plug-and-play at quarterback there. Mike Leach is a damn genius. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the hell he does. He's just a damn genius. Washington was good. Washington was not great. Washington was good. That's going to be a tough game. I'm not saying that Oregon walks through. That is a winnable game. That's I, what, how I will phrase it. I ooh, You know what? This is going to be fun. The last time we had Hidliday, he mentioned that he thought Jacob Eason underwhelmed. Yeah. Because he saw the, the Husky Spring game, and he said, this guy either isn't going to win the job, right. or he's going to be a third stringer. Right. And Jacob Eason won the job. Yeah. And at least for me, I thought Jacob Eason looked damn good he played well he played well now we got to remember that's an eastern washington team that was able to generate no pass rush whatsoever no so that's an fcs school it's a good first matchup for him to get confidence and just from a schematic standpoint that was a good team for him to match up against from that standpoint washington's good definitely oregon's biggest challenge in my opinion usc didn't show me enough to make me think ooh. They're all the way back. They might get there, and they won their game, so credit to them. But I didn't see a team where it was like, oh, man, Oregon's got their hands full. And I know people think that JT Daniels wasn't the best quarterback at USC, but they got to replace their first-string quarterback. Right, right. That has to be problematic. And Stanford lost their all-world uh, offensive lineman in Walker Little. Yes. And KJ Costello is questionable for this week. He, I'm guessing he'll be back in a couple weeks. Right. Even then— Stanford wasn't that good. It was, they were good enough to win. They just weren't. So, to me, I see this as a one-loss season the rest of the way for Oregon, realistically. Now, that puts them at two losses at the end of the season, puts them at a 10-2-ish and two-ish record, and that's kind of where I thought they would be. And from a realistic standpoint, we're going back to the show. We've gone full circle. I felt that winning the conference, the Pac-12 conference, and getting a good bowl game was where Oregon should finish this year. And that's where I still see it. Now, we got to play all the games, of course, and see where that falls. But yeah. that's what I see here. Now, I didn't think this was a playoff pushing year, a playoff type type season. I, I just didn't think it. Yet. And the reason for that is depth. And I think we saw that on Saturday. Depth was yes. a problem. Oregon got tired. Well, I think that that's the, the unspoken angle, too. We can all criticize Arroyo for not being ballsy enough or, or say that Justin Herbert doesn't look at his reads. I think the stat of the game was that the Ducks were 11 of 67 on the ground in that first quarter. Yeah. Dominant right. on the ground. And then pretty good in the second quarter. They're still popping off some nice runs. Yeah. Third quarter, you start to see some sacks. And then you see both running backs get hurt. Right. Uh, Verdell goes down first drive of the third. Then Die goes down. Yeah. And the Ducks abandon the run game. Right. They they start off 11-67 on the ground. Final three quarters, I think it was 21 for 23. They had four rush yards in the fourth quarter. Right. 
And four. and so I I think look at the running back position. Look at the fact that your two best pass catchers are sitting in shorts on Saturday. Yeah. Depth really cost them that game. Absolutely. Wholeheartedly. If Oregon had any two of Schooler, Johnson, or Pittman on the field, I think they walk away with it. I really do. I, I, I think that the 28-3 to narrative that's, that's bumped, I think it's at least 21-3, to which it wasn't. Yeah. I, 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 I think there's enough there that it's going to force Auburn to stay honest because that's what – Kevin Steele is a tremendous defensive coordinator. People don't give him enough credit. He made the necessary adjustments, and Oregon wasn't able to outmaneuver him. I believe a great deal of that attributes to depth. And it you know it attributes to the fact that you largely played the game with mostly your second string wide receivers, really, like across the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I just think Jacob Breland's not a hundred percent as well. He played as hard as he could. He had four catches, had a fine game, was a little short on that third down that I think is kind of a senior mistake, uh, kind of a rookie mistake. Details. Yeah. Just, a, yeah. And again, if you add any two of schooler, Jawan Johnson, Micah Pittman to that team, just any two of them, Oregon wins. You know, it's just it's just that simple to me. But, I I agree. But let's see what Hitler Day has to say on the right. Uh, I got to catch myself because yeah. I can talk your head off for yeah. an hour. But yeah. we got to get Hitler. Day. We got to get Hith on. He's Hitler Day at Hitler Day one on Twitter. Great follow. I've also seen that on Scoop Duck a couple times. Spotting that Hitler Day on the boards. Hith, we just we just keep going back and forth, Justin and I talking like crazy about all the angles, all the missed opportunities of that Auburn loss. What was the biggest takeaway for you? Well, I mean, the first thing I would tell you to do is uh, uh, don't pay attention to stuff like that. I mean, they're literally every play that doesn't end in a touchdown or defensive play that doesn't end in a turnover is a you know, is a missed opportunity. So there's like 150 of those in every game. Uh, you know, you, you'll drive yourself insane if you're like, oh, if you just broke that tackle, that 10 yard run would have been a 90 yard run. Um, uh, I think my biggest takeaway, you know, I, there are obviously uh, both pluses and minuses. Um, I would say that. I think going forward, uh, uh, my this is going to be an interesting game to do film study on to try to understand Andy Avalos' defense. I still don't quite get it, um, which is stupidity on my part, not you know any sort of problem with the defense. But like I, I still don't quite get what the assignments are, and so I'm going to wait for a couple more weeks uh, of data on that, and maybe write uh, a big write up after the Nevada or Montana game. But this will obviously be the highest quality, um, and you know I thought the defense did really really well. Um, uh, there were some breakdowns in the second half. You know probably the the thing that doomed Oregon more than anything else was that they weren't able to tackle. Booby Whitlow uh, in the in the second half, uh, even though they were in a lot of positions to do so, and I'm not really sure why that is. Um, I, I think maybe there might be some problems with the safeties, but uh, again, I'm not quite sure about that yet. I, I want to get more data. Um, uh, and on the offensive side of the ball, um, I really liked. Hey, Johnny Johnson can catch the ball. That's that's a good news. Um, there's also a bunch of like interesting stuff going on with the offensive line. Um, 
uh, Stephen Jones came in and played in replacement of Dallas Warmack at right guard uh, for about a dozen snaps, um, which is an interesting development. Uh, I wrote an article back in January, uh, which, among other things, sort of called for Dallas Warmack to be benched. Um, and then also, Brady Aiello, the backup, uh, was dressed in number 82 and playing as a tight end on a lot of plays, which is another interesting development. I'm not sure if that's a reaction to the injury situation at tight end or not, um, uh, or if that's just, you know, uh, a new heavy set that Oregon is, is trying out. So there's a lot of interesting film uh, to break down uh, going forward. We, uh, you know, Hith, I know that you tried to insulate yourself when you're doing your initial analysis, and then obviously once you publish it, it's kind of you let the wolves in. And uh, I think one of the things that, that you published, which I agree with, is the fact that overall – Marcus Arroyo called a pretty good game. Not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. There were some mistakes. But overall, like you said in the onset, he's not going to call 100 perfect plays. It's just not a realistic expectation of any offensive coordinator. So your thoughts on Marcus Arroyo and overall from this game and maybe what really what happened from the first half to the second half to see such a shift? Well, I don't think there was just one shift. I, I think there were multiple shifts um, that happened during the game. It, there was a, a, I mean, it was a, it was a chess match. You know, the, it's chess on grass, right? The, and, and there were a number of moves and counter moves. And I thought when when fans talk about play calling, they're usually talking about individual plays. And like I said, you'll drive yourself insane if you try to, you know, focus. Uh, overly much on individual plays. Uh, instead, what I'm looking at are, are tendencies or game plans, sort of you know over the over the cor- uh, course of time or over multiple play sets. And I thought the adjustments that the offensive coaching staff were making uh, to their personnel, getting more and more injured, uh, were basic were were appropriate. Um, uh, obviously, they started out the game with a, a couple of scripted drives that worked pretty damn well. Um, they were dealing with a defensive line that was very good. Um, it turned out their uh, backups, which I, you know, I question marks about how good are the backups going to play. The backups played pretty well. Um, same when, same deal with the linebackers. Uh, you know, they're replacing all their inside linebackers. I sort of thought, you know, law of averages, these guys are replacing uh, a number of guys at defensive tackle, at linebacker, and they're promoting a backup. Um, uh, safety to a starting safety, none of whom graded out super well on my uh, uh, play sheet in 2018. And, you know, everybody stepped up and played an excellent game, which is, you know, credit to Auburn for, for developing their defense. So um, they made it, uh, a number of adjustments to how Oregon, uh, to Oregon's personnel. And by the second half, uh, essentially, Kevin Steele had more cards left in his deck than Marcus Arroyo did. Um, by the, you know, midway through the third quarter, the guys on the bench were both of Oregon starting running backs, both of Oregon starting flankers, both of Oregon starting slot guys, and their starting tight end, uh, Cam McCormick. Um, the number of cards that Arroyo had left was basically just one, which is ask Justin Herbert to make throws that Justin Herbert, for whatever reason, uh, you know, isn't uh, comfortable throwing. And that, you know, that they asked him to do that and he wasn't doing it. Uh, I don't really know why. Uh, it may be that the deep downfield receivers were, you know, super well covered by Auburn's defensive backs. I can't tell that from the broadcast angles. They just don't show those things. Um, 
but you know that's that's essentially what happened was that that in that I've now used two different game metaphors, cards and chess. But like in the back and forth, Kevin Steele just had more options available to him, uh, given that he was playing with a full deck, and Oregon had all of their first and some of their second string skill players out. He's kind of our rook, maybe you could say the ace in the hole, Hidleday at Hidleday one on Twitter, Hid. We were bouncing back and forth on on how this game changes the forecast of the season. Justin thinks still could be an 11-win team, still could win a Pac-12 title. I think that's the ceiling as well. Uh, a good team, not a playoff team, but you can still get some roses when it's all said and done. Where do you see this team now? Um, I think that, uh, sure, I definitely think that uh, winning the next 11 games is the ceiling for Oregon. I don't think there's anything on the schedule that makes me think that's impossible. Um, there were an, there were a bunch of encouraging signs, and Oregon's not going to play Auburn again. You know, that, that's a short and long of it. But, you know, uh, the n- there are no Derek Browns in the Pac-12. Uh, the, the closest thing to it is at Utah, which Oregon doesn't play. Um the the you know maybe USC will have a guy who turns out to be that maybe one of Washington's freshmen will turn out to be that we we need to see some more out of that but you know essentially uh, Oregon's already faced the two best defenses in the Pac-12 uh, Cal and Washington and we know how those games turned out last year and that's with you know without the 2019 recruiting class I'm gonna I'm gonna back you up a little bit. Prior to that question, uh, we're gonna go. We're gonna go with Justin Herbert, and people hate me because I've said a negative thing about Justin Herbert, hmm. whom I don't hate. Uh, love the kid, love the story, and one of the things that earlier in the podcast, as we led into this, I compared him to Tua Dagavailoa in the way that I feel Justin Herbert's incredibly book smart, whereas you know Tua might be a little bit more street smart, and that might be a difference on the field. My knock is he has trouble going through his progressions and he locks onto a receiver. We gave him an out last year because Dylan Mitchell was the most reliable, probably the only reliable receiver he had. So far in the first game, we saw a lot of, I saw, I mean, I went back fourth quarter and there's three or four or five times that, that, you know, there's a simple dig route or somebody out there doing jumping jacks that's wide open and he's not even looking that direction. Is that something that you saw at times in your review of the game? Yes. Uh, there's no other way to put it. Like he, you know, his field vision uh, is not great. Um, but that's not something that we learned in the Auburn game. You know, I've been writing articles for two years about this, um, about Justin Herbert. Like it's always been the case that you know he makes some peculiar decisions. Uh, I'm not sure if I would phrase it as book smart versus street smart. I I think that it's more of an issue that he wants to be a hundred percent comfortable with, you know, that the receiver is going to catch the ball. And if he's not, he tucks it and tries to run it. And it's not exactly happy feet, but it's more like, uh, you know, he doesn't trust his receivers all that much. Um, and for a long time, that's sort of been, well, I understand why, you know, Addison dropped a touchdown in this game. That's probably part of it. Um, but on the other hand, Johnny Johnson caught everything that he threw at him, you know, uh, there's a couple plays in this game where it's like Johnny's open, man. You know, make the throw. Right. So uh, you know, the way that I come down on it is, it. I thought it was appropriate 
at the end of the game to ask Justin Herbert to win the game for him. I thought, I think the way that Justin Herbert plays, I don't have a huge problem with it because the plus side of the way that he sees the field is that he's not going to throw interceptions. And it's entirely possible that he's coached that way. I don't know. I have no way of knowing that. Um, But, hey, Justin Herbert, you know, other than that crazy handoff thing, you know, didn't turn the ball over. If he had done that, Oregon fans would be trying to tear him down for that, right? Like, you know, it's kind of a no-win situation when you when you haven't, you know, when you've lost a game. So, you know, fans will find something to, to tear at you about. Uh, but, yeah, I'm with you. I, I don't hate him either, but, you, you know, that's not the quarterback that you ask to win the game for you in that way. He's he's not going to do it. That was somewhat predictable. That doesn't mean that it was the wrong move uh, for for the Oregon coaching staff to make. You know, to ask him to do it. Uh, you know, it was probably the the highest percentage chance uh, of winning the game. It's just you know, if all the cards you got are low cards, that's where you're at. Yeah, and unfortunately, unfortunately, it didn't happen. You know, had had he been able to do that, I think we're able to label that more of a, a, as a signature win for Justin Herbert. You know, and I'm kind of waiting for that game. I know that Oregon beat Washington last year, and that was a great game. I almost feel like that was more on Mario Cristobal than than Justin Herbert with some of the, or or Marcus Arroyo, just the way they called that. The other person that I just mentioned, which is getting heavy criticism in this game, besides Marcus Arroyo and Justin Herbert, is Mario Cristobal for in coaching decisions. Now. There's no question that the, the two-timeout thing was a little bit of a mystery, some of the play calls in the second half. I guess my argument to that is I didn't see – I mean, there's, a coach is always going to make a mistake in a game, but I didn't see enough mistakes made by the coaching staff, in particular Mario Cristobal, to negatively impact this game and lose this game for Oregon. I mean, like the timeouts didn't really impact the game. Where, where are you kind of at maybe on this scale a little bit with some of the coaching decisions you saw? Uh, I don't really have an opinion to tell you the truth. It's just not what I study. Um, and I've never been a coach. Like, I don't know what that situation is like. Like I read Pete Thamel's article, for example, about like milking the clock a little bit more. I don't know what goes into, you know, getting a play relayed in, you know, maybe it's the case that if they wait the extra 10 seconds to snap the ball that, you know, it dramatically increases the risk of, of a false start and that that would be more disastrous. Like, I don't know. I mean, it sort of goes back to the first thing that I said, which is you will drive yourself insane if you try to analyze a game on the basis of uh you know if only this one thing were different if only this one coaching decision were different like it's just it's just not an analytically proper way to look at a football game and and i know that it's not going to be a productive conversation whenever i talk to somebody (laughs) who wants to try it well there's there's too many variables yeah you know i mean it's 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 a it's 60 minutes of a perfect storm if you will or a not perfect storm. And, you know, so I agree with you to put it. So my stance is if you put it all on the coaches, I don't think that's being fair. If you put it all on just Herbert, that's not being fair. If you put it all on Marcus Royal, that's not being fair. But every one of those compartments, you know, impacted this game and had an impact on the outcome. So uh, I'm with you. I think Oregon's defense has some room to grow and it was a little bit confusing at times. To me, it certainly looked like they got tired and depth was the issue. You know, those guys were in position to make tackles and just weren't quite able to do it third and fourth quarter. Yeah. That's really frustrating, and it's the reason why I really want to wait for uh, some more data to figure this out, um, because the, one of the disadvantages with doing the film study uh, in, with just the broadcast angles is that they don't generally give you um, 
uh, replays of, uh, you know, from the second angle of rushing plays. And that's what, you know, Auburn was, you know, it was, I mean, it was an infuriating watch as an Oregon fan was <laughs> Booby Whitlow would be bottled up in the backfield, right? right? Or maybe like a two yard gain. And then you blink your eyes and he's, you know, eight yards downfield. And the way that the camera angle is on it, it's like, I can't tell why the guys who look like they're in line in order to be able to stop him aren't stopping them. It could be that that that's my eyes fooling uh, me that he's actually, you know, laterally four yards away and he's not in a position to do that. And because I don't have the replay angle, it's hard for me to tell. So, uh, I'm not sure if fatigue was the issue. I think maybe the safeties might have been the issue, but I might be getting fooled on that one. So I am reserving judgment, uh, you know, reserve the right to write something completely different in a couple of weeks. Yeah, it, honestly, the defense, just naked eye, and I, I'm nowhere near the caliber you are of studying this, but it looked more like a Wash, Washington State defense than a Boise State defense, just from, from what I could glean, you know, with the way they move the guys around and, and, the, and the pre-snap movement and some of those different things. But, um, Hith, we're going we're gonna to get you off here, but I, uh, the game. Okay, Oregon loses the game, heartbreaking loss. I get it. You, 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 just, you, know, you lead for 59 minutes and 51 seconds, and you end up losing the game. It's tough. It's tough. Where are, what did you see and kind of where are you at with this team maybe moving forward and knowing what's left on, on their schedule? I know you haven't studied every opponent left, from, but from what you saw in the spring, where do you kind of see this team moving forward? Well, they have, uh, you know, two non-conference games, uh, you know, Nevada and Montana for the, you know, the conferences that they play in are not bad teams. So there'll be, you know, that's not totally worthless film. We'll, we'll get some good practice and some good study out of those. And then it's a Pac-12 schedule that's, you know, after having done all the Pac-12 previews that I did in the summer, it's a pretty flawed league. Most teams don't have a great offensive line. Most teams don't have a great defensive line. Uh, I I don't know that there is a single team, with the possible exception of Washington, that has both. Um, and, you know, I, I was pretty happy with Oregon's offensive and defensive lines, and I think just playing the odds, it, you know, if you've got excellent offensive and defensive lines and your opponents don't, you're going to win most games in front of you. No, I, I, uh, I love what you're saying there because, uh, you know, I agree with that component, and the fact is, for however however many mistakes Justin Herbert might make, he's still a really dang good quarterback, obviously has great accuracy, protects the football. So if you have those three components, if you have size on the line and you have a, a, a good enough quarterback, and, and I'm not trying to belittle Justin Herbert, but if you have a good enough quarterback, you know, you're going to win a lot of your games and most of your games. I didn't see anybody this weekend that I thought, oh, crap, Oregon's in trouble there. I you Right. Know. I mean, that's, I think, the thing that's lost about the way that this game played out is that, yes, I believe, and I think many people believe that, you know, ultimately the final card that got played, you know, Justin Herbert win the game, uh, and he didn't, you can say, well, the buck stops there, but that's not the structure of Oregon's offense. The structure of Oregon's offense is to pound the ball, is to run on first down. You know, it's unlikely that Oregon's going to be in a situation where both of their running backs are out of the game and all the other skill talent that they have. It's unlikely that they're going to be in that position again uh if you and if you can run the ball which looking at most teams in the pac-12 oregon should be able to run the ball you know whether justin herbert is a you know daredevil hero or not it's kind of irrelevant yeah no i i, I agree i agree I, I think i think we saw the best opponent oregon's going to see this year top to bottom 
And uh, and the, and the fact is, Oregon was on the road, and that's kind of been the biggest concern with them. And they played well. I mean, you, you got to feel good about it. So, um, Hith, I, I, we appreciate your time as always, and we're definitely going to keep getting you back on. And we appreciate you posting on the site and interacting with the fans there. That that means a lot, and I think you are definitely educating folks along the way, and and a lot of folks appreciate that, myself included. Thanks, Justin. It's good time to you. All right, buddy. Love every time we have a guy on. I like this podcast. I like the way it's come together. It's been yeah. a good, been a good one. A little, little, you know, a little bit about the Sewells and talk about this weekend's game, and then a little recap of last weekend's game. Which uh, I don't know about you, but I'm getting ready to move on from. Yeah, like, it sucks. I, I think lost. I think we needed this. Yeah, I, I had so many questions. Yeah. after Saturday night, so many questions. But yeah, now you can move forward, and we can talk about that powerhouse. Nevada Reno. Yeah, ne- Nevada Reno. Yeah, I don't have I don't have much to say. I like I mean other than Sewell, I'm not really sure who's com- who's on their team, you know, from from doing study. I've got uh I've got Jacob Archer and Chris Anderson. They're they're writing some articles of the of the five players you need to know on offense and defense, so we'll we'll get a little education in, on that front, but I mean, let's face it, Oregon's favored by 21 points. Uh you got to listen to Vegas. Yeah. Auburn was favored over Oregon in that game by three-ish points or whatever it ended up being, three, four, whatever. Vegas knows, man. You got to listen to those guys. Vegas Vegas knew something, that's they're, for sure. They're not playing with $25 that's stuffed under the mattress. They're playing with money, money. Speaking of the Nevada game, yeah. do you want to do lock it in? I, we can get there. Yeah, we can do lock it in. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very happy about Hithla Day. I'm very excited about this team moving forward. I know a week one loss is always tough. It's made it tough on me to moderate the board all week and some of the hot takes and some of the not so hot takes. Fire and, everybody. Right. And the reef. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know what? You guys didn't hear my hot take. I'm going to make a new thread. That's my hot take now. And it's like, you know, we get Start it. Start Tyler Shuck. Yeah. I mean, we Fire get it. everybody. We get it. Some people are upset with the play calling. Some people are upset with coaching decisions. Some people are upset with this or that. And again, I just I don't think you're being realistic unless you take all of it into account. It's it, it, all of those different parts equaled up to the sum, right? And the, and the sum was Oregon gave this football a game away. They really did. Well, I think I think you guys said it best. The, the, did the Ducks lose a, a game that they should have won? Yeah. Yes. But are the Ducks worse than any other team in the Pac-12 right now? Correct. Yeah. Right. Correct. Like the, the, I don't think you could argue that. Right. Y- you joke about. "Quote unquote, my beavers." Yeah, right. Uh, those beeves looked awful on Friday oh night. They couldn't stop you and I if we were on offense. I, I made that joke yesterday. <laughs> Oklahoma State could have handed me the ball. Right, skinny, scrawny, slow ass white dude. Right, and I would have got a hundred yards on that team. Oh yeah, yeah. It was bad. It was bad. I, you know, I, 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 you know, I cover Oregon for a living, and that's how I make my income and that and i'm happy to do that i have no negative affiliation towards oregon state whatsoever i want nothing more than to see jonathan smith succeed because i like the story i think he's a nice guy i'm not sure he's doing everything he needs to do the right way but that's just an opinion from here i agree i agree on both of those counts nice guy don't know if he's a great coach and my problem so far is i'm not i mean like i knew just the minute he took over the job that was such a rebuilding job I don't think people fully appreciated how depleted that roster was of talent. We joke about Oregon's receivers being depleted or maybe not having enough depth on 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 defense or whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. They're worlds apart as right. far as, you know, talent levels. Night and day. Yeah. Night and, and day. They're they're better than Oregon State. Yeah. They're better than UCLA. Yeah. The the defense 
and most of the offense I think is better than Wazoo. Mm-hmm. I think they're better than Cal. Yeah. Again, I, I think the question mark are those four big games of USC, Washington, Stanford, and whoever they play in a hypothetical Pac-12 championship. Probably you, Utah. You got to win three of those tough four games that you mentioned. You got to win three of them. I think Oregon will lose one in there. And and I, I for whatever reason, I keep coming back to Washington State just because Mike Leach has had that number. Here, here's a good question. Would you rather lose... To Wazoo again, lose to the Pirate again, or lose in Seattle? Yeah, definitely lose to the Pirate. Take that all. Or if any Oregon fans answers differently than that, they're not being honest with themselves. You beat the Huskies at all costs because that has huge recruiting implications along with it as yeah. well. And not to mention a whole year of having to hear Husky fans gloat about winning a game by however many points is brutal for an Oregon <laughs> fan. But yeah, but no, I mean, I, I, I think out of that stretch of four games, and of course that means you got to win the rest of the games. You can't take ASU for granted. You know, you, you don't have to worry about Arizona apparently. Um, but I mean, it, it, you know, there's a lot of other, but yeah, the, that, that core four games there, that's more most likely where a loss would come from. I do think Oregon will lose one more along the way just because I'm playing the numbers. I see every game as winnable moving forward based on what we saw that and that's just it. We knew the Auburn game was a measuring stick. We go back. We knew, okay, Auburn game, win, lose, or draw. This is the measuring stick of where Oregon's at. And now we know. We know that they can compete with Auburn. They really can beat Auburn, which, in my opinion, wherever Auburn falls in the SEC, they're as good as the best team in the Pac-12, at least, at least. So, you know, good start for Oregon. We move forward. You know, my lock of the week last week was three picks. I was one short, and then I sublocked it with a Javon Holland pick. So I went 50 50 there. Right. It's pretty damn close to three. Ed Reed out there, man. Yeah, he dude, looked incredible. Insane. Be- best player on the field, and that's saying something. And then, and then to hear coaches talk about how he's a better receiver than he is a safety, I believe it. Flip yeah. his ass over there, playing both ways. <laughs> no, so, so many times. So many times we see DBs whiff on a pass, yeah. and you go, oh, that's why he's playing defensive back, yeah. right? Lee Corso used to say that all the time. Huh? Right. That's why he's a corner, not a receiver. Well, with Javon Holland, that's it's not, like, wow, yeah. I think the reason he can catch shows you he could have been a receiver. Yeah, no, optimistic for this team. You know, we, you and I can talk about Nevada all we want. There's not that much to talk about. It's 21-point game you know Oregon should roll them I hope we can see Tyler Shuck in the second half that's something I'd like to see see him out there see him run the offense which means that Oregon offensively did enough in the first half to get to that point mm-hmm. um you know maybe I'm just being picky uh like like not just like love to see Oregon come out of this healthy you know there was really no major injuries to come from the Auburn game that's great get through this one get through Montana yeah be relatively healthy playing Stanford and after that, you're starting to talk about Schooler Pittman coming back somewhere in there, getting, yeah. getting close. You know? I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah. You know, the, I'm a Raider fan. The expression that the Raiders have always used is just win, baby. Just win, baby. Just win these two games. Just win. Yep. Stay healthy. Stay healthy. Yep. And then beat Stanford. Get those young guys some, some time. You know, get Mikel Wright out there. Get Mace Funa out there. Get Spencer Webb out there more. Get him, you know, get Patrick Herbert. The, right. Know, we didn't hear about Patrick Herbert at all. No. I mean, even in, uh, you know, get Kayvon Thibodeau. Get these young guys back out there because even in blowouts, there is a ton for these kids to learn over the course of, a, of the next 120 minutes, two yes. football games. Totally agree. Which become invaluable when you start 
you know, Pac-12 play. So I, I think Oregon's set up nicely to do some good things. I know the schedule's tough. You got tough road games. I get all of that. But right now, based on what we've seen, I think it's set up nicely. So yeah, we got we got lock of the week and five games to watch, and I think we can send this sucker home. Sure. Okay. Sure. I don't or whatever. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, I There's honestly I don't have any notes down for, yeah, for no. lock or five we're just, games. Oh, we're just flying by the seat of our pants, like always. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Yeah, no, it is. You you come in prepared. You get all the guests ready, and, and I everything. do that part. I do that part. I don't get prepared any other way. <laughs> I just start rambling. <laughs> I mean, I, I think we're good on time. We're just over an hour. Oh, perfect. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to talk these people's ears off. <laughs> don't want to blow their speakers out in their car as they're listening in the Portland traffic. I don't even know if there are five games this week. That's the thing. Like, I'm, I'm just oh, uh, there's Texas A&M and Clemson. I, that's off the top of my head. That'll yeah. be a good one. Let me, let me just let me just look this up. Okay, we're, we we're gonna pause for a second, and look just, up games. Hang just on. For the sake of it. Ah, let me figure out how to Google here. All right. A and M Clemson. Yeah, that is one. That, yeah. that's gonna be good. That'd be a good one. Hey, here's here's something while I'm thinking about it. Let's put the Noah Sewell cycle into perspective. I always think it's good to. Look at the other teams that are targeting a player, right? Because we don't we don't get to see that in any other sport. We don't get to see that oh the the Raiders would have drafted so and so or oh the Patriots had so and so high on their board, and and get to make an evaluation on whether this guy's a good player because a good team wanted him. Right. But in college football, we get that. We can say oh if if a guy's got Alabama in his top five or Noah Sewell's got. Texas A&M and some Georgia, SEC schools, yeah. Georgia in his top five. Like, ooh, boy. Like, if those schools want this player, he's a good player. Right. Um, so just out of the top 25 for me, I don't know about you. Already yeah. mentioned Texas A&M and Clemson uh, Saturday at 1230. That'll be, well, that'll be a good one. Okay. Uh, Clemson's going to kill him. We know that. <laughs> we just call that now. Uh, there was two others. LSU and Texas. I think LSU is going to kick the crap out of Texas. I think Texas is vastly overrated in my opinion that's a number six versus a number nine and you got two more i just and this is just top 24 cal and washington that's gonna be a fun game. come on cal that's a fun game everybody talks about cal being the dark horse here's your chance mm-hmm. you, and you're gonna catch washington early right and they're gonna be they're gonna be high and cocky because they beat up on an eastern washington team that really wasn't very good and then stanford usc Let's find out what they're both. Fun game. Yeah, I mean, that's a great Pac-12 game right there just to get the measuring stick for both those programs. I didn't think Stanford was that impressive in the first week. I didn't think USC was either. With Walker Little out, and if K.J. Costello doesn't play, USC might win that game just because Stanford's not that good, just my opinion. If USC wins that game over under, let's say over under 100, how many tweets and how many calls and text messages you, you have to read from people telling you USC is back? Oh, yeah. USC is back, huh? Yeah. <laughs> We're on the map. No, you beat a not-so-great not team. So, yeah, USC-Stanford, Cal-Washington, LSU-Texas, and then uh, Clemson and Texas a Those are four good games. Right. Decent little there, – there's a game on Friday night, but it's not. It's Mar- Marshall at Boise State. We are Marshall. No, two blue chips right there. Yeah. Hey, yeah. can we, can we speak night. for a minute about – how beautiful that Boise State upset win was, man, dude. I mean, I mean, as bad as Oregon fans feel, think about being a Florida State fan. Yes, I mean, seriously. I, I've talked about 
grass always greener, right? We've used that that phrase a couple times and kind of had that perspective a little bit. Here's the ultimate grass is always greener. Mario wasn't perfect on Saturday, but he wasn't nearly as bad as Slick Willie. No, I mean, you want to talk about Ooh. coaching decisions. You, you go watch that. That's a clinic on what not to do. Do they get fired? Does that staff get fired at the end of the year? They get, I, 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 my best guess is, and, and studying it from far, you got to run the table just to save your butt. I agree. You got to run the table just to save your butt. If you lose two more games, you're out. I don't. I don't care. Like, if you're in the fifth game and you've already lost two more games, they're gonna fire him then. We might see him fired in November. Yeah, like early November. It, this reminds me a lot of the Lane Kiffin year at USC. Yeah, yeah it does. Where yeah. they didn't even let him on the bus. Right. At the end of the game, yeah. they just pulled him aside and said, "We're going to the airport." Yeah. And you're not. <laughs> and it's a huge, nasty, ugly, disgusting, egregious buyout for Florida State. But you can bet your ass they'll come up with the money to fi- figure it out. Oh, yeah. They'll oh, yeah. figure well, it out. Well, they came up with the money to hire him. Right. So Right. And then just think, they didn't have to give all that money to Jimbo after all, so they clearly have money. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, your fifth game. I didn't have a fifth. I okay. came up with four on the fly. All right. I'll go. Um, I mean, you got Oregon State at Hawaii. <laughs> oh. Well, that's that's Sunday's game because it's a uh, 9 p.m. kick Saturday yep. night. So, yep. yeah, that's that's been the running joke in our that's, building. That's is, Pac-12 after dark right there. A classic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You got Nebraska and Colorado. I get a chance to see how Scott Frost does there. And that's one of mine. Less so than impressive in week one. We can we can segue there because I need to see more from Scott Frost. Absolutely. I, I loved the work that he did at UCF. And I still believe Nebraska quarterback back in the day. Uh, obviously a stud assistant coach for the Ducks showed you what he can do at UCF. I think he can rebuild Nebraska and restore the, the respect that people had for that program. I just got to see it. I don't think he recruits well enough to do that. I I just, I haven't seen him recruit well enough to like, I've seen them recruit some guys and, and, and they're definitely identifying talent they're just not able to recruit them i you know the offense was not that great last week uh the defense is great coach shenander has always done a great job as a dc wherever he's gone with coach frost um he wanted to be dc at oregon when he was here it just didn't happen uh you know so i think coach shenander's done a great job i think what what they did at ucf is a tad bit overvalued i think it was good i think it was also uh right place right time you know and We'll see. Jury's still out. I, I want nothing but success for Scott Frost. I think I think it would be great to see him succeed there. It would make for a great story. Jury's still out on my end by far. Right. And uh, that's why that's one of my five. Yeah. I'm intrigued by that game, Nebraska-Colorado. Also, just as a, a geek, I love watching option teams. Army-Michigan is on my list. Oh, geez. I, just, I love watching our yeah. option football. Yeah. Army runs it really well. Um, some of the other games I have on there... Let's look at uh, 112, Clemson, Texas A&M. I think Trevor Lawrence is a spitting image of Joe Montana. <laughs> and I'm serious. Yeah. Just the guy is so cool, so calm, goes through his reads, moves his eyes really well. I, I love watching Trevor Lawrence any chance I get. Looking forward to that. The other ones for me, it's kind of a weird week. You know, you got a lot of... Uh, Group of five schools versus power five schools. A lot yeah. of crossover there. LSU, Texas. Is Texas back? Right. What What is Ed O doing at LSU this year? We get a good glimpse of that. 
I want to see Miami rebound against North Carolina. So that would be, uh, I think that's four games right there. And then five, you really just take your pick on, on what you think is going to be the better Pac-12 test. Yeah. Cal could stun Washington. Or that's make a, it close, at least. That, yes. Yeah. That's a dark horse team that almost nobody is talking about. And then Stanford-USC, there's your marquee Pac-12 game of the week. Yeah, I think Stanford's beat up a little bit there. That's going to hurt them overall. I don't think USC is that good, but I think they'll be good enough to win that game. That's uh, that's a seven thirty game, so you get to watch that after a duck game. Right, it's always good. Right, so we okay. call it a wrap. Let's call it a wrap. Sure, we ramble. I know people want lock of the week. I don't. Do you have one? Can you spit one off? The right Ducks now? are going to beat Nevada. Okay, yeah. <laughs> no lock of the week. Will Oregon cover the twenty one point spread? Go. Yes. So you're saying yes? Yes. I'm no saying, doubt in my mind. I'm saying yes, too. Yes. I think it's a statement game. I think they come out. I think I think they simplify the game plan. I think they smash the rock, and yeah. they win with less than three kickers. Yeah. less. But my I think my point to that is I know Mario Cristobal is not the type to go run the score up uh, on purpose, and I don't think he's going to do that, certainly not against Nevada to prove a point. I think it's just going to be a byproduct of how superior Oregon is right. on both. So it'll you know it'll be a, a clearly called run play, and next thing you know, somebody's off for sixty yards. Jimmy Johnson said this about one of his Miami teams back in the day. I think it was one of them that Mario played on. They blew out Notre Dame, and Jimmy was asked, you know, why'd you run up the score? And he said, we were running. They just couldn't stop us. Yeah. I yeah. think we'll see that on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, I, I've coached a lot of soccer. My kids have grown up coaching soccer, and sometimes you outmatch a team. So you're yelling on the field, hey, five passes before you can score. Right. And they're little kids. It's like, okay, coach. And the next, you know, the ball's in the net again. You're like, I'm, and you just sit down. You know what I mean? You just sit down, and you're like, I'm not even coaching them anymore. No orange slices for you. Right. Today. Yeah, exactly. Stop scoring, people. <laughs> you know, you, you, and the parents have seen this, you subtly do a substitution but you take a kid off and don't put any back on put anyone back on so you're playing down a player like i've done all those things in certain games i've been on both sides of it but yeah it's the same thing when you're like i'm doing everything i can here i'm calling a you know i'm, I'm calling a run play it yeah. just happens to go for 65 i think I, you know oregon's gonna win by more than 21 points i agree and i think they'll be up over 21 points by halftime yeah. all right so you heard it here that's our lock uh matt bagley Pep Guardiola over here, our uh, our soccer expert. I could pick your brain on that for another hour. Oh yeah, I think we're both hungry, both a little tired, and fighting the the fumes from this hemp farm back Golly, here. Yeah, we're we got, we have officially changed Southern Oregon to uh, you know Hemp Valley, United <laughs> States. Like, it's insane, people. Like you guys think I'm joking? It's not even funny. I'm progressive. I just hate breathing all the crap from the hemp farm next yeah, door i'll yeah. put it that way uh scoop duck and hi-fi check it out on itunes check it out stitcher wherever else you want to listen to your podcast you can find us two great guests this week uh, gabriel suel senior that's penne's dad and hidla day yep. hidla day one on twitter and i know you've been seeing him on scoop duck a whole lot yeah a lot, of, a lot of fun today uh, give us a listen give us a rating and thank you for listening I can do this now.